This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with afflictions those who have hurt you. Jesus Christ is Lord. Today we're going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians, it's chapter 1, it's going to be verses 1 through 7. And you can find that in the Bibles that are around the room on page 986. And also I'd like to remind you, if you do not have a Bible of your own, please feel free to take one that is here today, um, that is our gift to you. Um, when I'm finished reading this, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and I would ask that you would respond with, thanks be to God. And we do this because we believe these words are truly the words of God, and that when we read them aloud, it's as if the Lord is speaking directly to us and with us. So 1 Thessalonians 1, 1-7. through 7. Paul, Savannah, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mention you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness in the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today with heads bowed to give praise and glory to you, Lord. Help us to remember we are in your word, Lord. Guide our thoughts today. Help us to understand the grace provided by your Son, Jesus Christ. Let the power of the Holy Spirit be with Pastor Shea as he guides us through your word. And allow the Spirit to work in each of our hearts and minds as we listen. And we pray this today in the name of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jim. How's everybody doing? Good to see all of you. I'm glad you survived the summer. Uh, anybody getting any extreme sunburns or, you know, lost at the lake or anything? Everybody good? Cool? Awesome. It's really good to see all of you. My name is Shay. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Stones. Um, man, it's just, it's just really good to jump off our new sermon series through the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And if you've noticed, we're calling it Viral Hope. And what we mean by that, I actually had to ask, like, what do we mean Viral Hope? Like, are we infecting people with, with hope? Like, what is, like a virus? What, what are we doing here? And uh, actually, it's, a, it's another definition of that word viral. It's like for something to go viral. So if you, if you know anything about the internet, how things uh, go and they spread out and they, they just go all over the world. That's what we want the gospel to do. So we want this gospel message to do. We don't want to just keep it in isolation for ourselves. Uh, we want it to go to the far reaches of the world. We want everyone to hear about this hope that we find in Christ. Uh, and that's why we exist as Living Stones Church. We want everyone uh, we come in contact with, uh, we wish that everyone would, would come to know Christ. 
Uh, and so we, we walk through this life as if we're trying to make that happen. And so as we walk through First and Second Thessalonians, that's what we're going to be talking about for the most part. What does it mean to have uh, this faith that's, that's, that's so ingrained in us that it just oozes out and spreads and ripples out across the whole world? Uh, I was on the, uh, I went back east, back to Virginia this past week. I was on the plane and I was kind of, I had my Bible open and I was uh, not trying to be super holy or anything like that. I was really trying to prep for this message. And uh, there was this lady that was sitting beside me and she, she looks over to me uh, and she says, so, so what's the, the message about today? Or what's the good word that you have? I was like, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out, but we're going through Thessalonians. I know that. And she said, well, what do you want to tell your people? And I said, well, I just, I just want them to be encouraged by this word. And she was like, praise God. If there's anything that we need in this world right now, it's a word of encouragement. Actually, she said, like, praise God, baby. Is this? It was so cute. It was so cool. <laughs> but that's true, man. We need encouragement in our world right now. We've got school shootings. We've got uh, people dying. We've, we've got all kind of stuff that's happening. We've got wars upon wars into every reach of this world. We need encouragement. So that was a good word. I actually took it that God was speaking through that lady to me. As we look at verse 1, as it looks at uh, Thessalonians, we see that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica. He says, Paul, Savinus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thessalonica was a city um, in the Roman province of Macedonia, which is now modern-day Greece. Uh, it was a major city because it had uh, these major ports, and it was one of the major trading hubs throughout the Roman Empire. And so just like Paul would do for every major city in, in Rome, uh, he would pick uh, the major city so that if he could get the gospel there, then it could spread out as people went back to their, to their homes. And so that's what he was doing here. And we see uh, this story of how Paul came to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And so it says this, it says, Now when they had passed through uh, Amph- yep, there, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went, Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great uh, many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. That's, that's the, uh, the religious leaders when he says that. The religious leaders were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the others, some of the brothers, some of the brothers, some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. and They are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. These men have turned the world upside down. How do we be that church? How do we be those people that can turn the world upside down. Or I'd settle for northern Nevada. 
How do we be a church that turns all of northern Nevada upside down? How do we become a viral church that thrives and spreads in every place we go? How do we avoid becoming a church that's lacking in power and influence and it's, it's in danger of dying out as soon as they hit turbulent times? How do we be a vibrant church like this one at Thessalonica? You see, Paul is writing them this letter, encouraging them and letting them know how proud he is of them and how they're conducting themselves in the faith. In verse 1, we see that he addresses them as a congregation that's in the Father and in Christ. And in that wording is so cool because he's distinguishing them between their, their neighbors. Their neighbors were all polytheists, meaning they worshipped a lot of different gods. And they were also hedonists, meaning they lived their life for their own pleasure. Does that sound familiar? We live in a culture that everyone seems to live life for their own pleasure. So he's writing them and he says, you're not like that, you're in God. He also says you're in Christ, which directly distinguishes them from, from the Jews that were there. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah and Paul says, no, the Messiah is in Christ. He says you find yourself in God and in Christ. It makes you different. Paul was writing them a letter of encouragement, which is something I think we could use a bit of as well. We've been a lot, we've been through a lot these past couple years. We've lost leaders. Uh, some of you, like there's a few community groups out there, you've lost three leaders in one year. There's been a lot of change in this church. There's, there's been a lot of hurt. But be encouraged, saints. We're still here. Christ is still with us. New people are still coming. We, we, got a new, we got a new couple in our church just this morning. Praise God. People are, people are wanting to come and check us out. New believers are still being baptized. We've, we've got people that are wanting to come and, and know what it's like to dedicate their lives to Christ. The churches in our city are still looking at us for encouragement. Christ hasn't left us, church. The Spirit is still with us. Be encouraged. We're doing good. In verse 1, we see that uh, Paul, the reason he's even writing this letter in the first place, the reason why they're a congregation of saints, the reason why he even met them in the first place was because of the grace and peace of God. The grace of Christ, that he would, he would live a perfect life, that he would die a sinner's death and he would resurrect from the dead. That grace that's giving to us, that he did all of that on our behalf, that makes us at peace with God. And Paul bases his entire letter on this fundamental truth that because of the work of Christ, you're now at peace with God. So be encouraged. We're, we're going to look at how Paul encouraged them. We're going to see how Paul encouraged them. He said to them that you, your faith, uh, it's, it's proved by your actions. Like you're not, just, you're not just living your faith under a basket. You're actually showing your faith. He says to them that you understand who you are in Christ. Not only that, but you're spreading your faith out everywhere you go. So those are things we're going to look at. Let's look at that first one. It says that they are a people whose faith is proven by their actions. Look at verse 2. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you look at that word, uh, the work of faith, it actually translates in, into this word so that says ergal, which means a toil, 
of faith. Toil of faith. It's, it's, it's hard to have faith. You, you ever notice that it's, it's hard to have faith in this world? It's, it's a difficult thing. And I know like some of my, some of my more theological bent friends are like, oh, work of faith. Don't go preaching that. But here's the thing. Uh, we don't work to be approved by God. We work because we've already been approved by God. Our identity in Christ hasn't changed. But the world needs to see what we're doing. Our faith should be on display. It talks about that in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Ephesians 2 says this. No, that's not it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created in God's workmanship. We weren't, we weren't given salvation just to sit on it. God created good works so that we might walk in them. He prepared them before he even saved us. There's neighbors that he wants us to meet. There's organizations that he wants us to partner with. There's a city that needs to know Christ. And he wants us to get to work. And that's not a bad thing. We're, we're, our faith is not the aim of our work. It's the motivation behind our work. It's what puts us to work. The fact that we've already been approved by God. James kind of says something similar. James 2, uh, verses 17 and 18. It says, uh, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, if you have faith, I have works. But he says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. I'm going to show you that I'm approved by God by the things I do. It's not going to change my identity in Christ, but I do need to do something. So they were displaying their faith. They were, they were putting their faith on display. Paul was thanking them, that, uh, thanking God that the Thessalonians were toiling in their faith. It was and still is hard work. You ever, like, you ever notice how hard your faith is? Like submitting your life to a God you've never laid eyes on? That's hard. When, when other things are right in front of me, I'd rather do that. It's hard to submit your life to something you've never seen. It's hard to deny yourself of impulses that just seem natural. It's... it's it's hard desiring attributes such as humility, grace, and mercy, meekness. Oh, that's difficult. Whoever said that uh, believing in Christ was easy was talking about that fake blonde hair, blue eye Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't know what they're talking about. It's hard work to be a person of faith. He also said that he thanks God that uh, they had this labor of love. That, that word labor right there, if you look at the original language, it's the pain of love. Love is painful, Paul says. I'm sure a lot of you have been to a wedding, and uh, the preacher or pastor or somebody gets up there, and what's a pastor's favorite verse at a wedding? Talking about love, right? 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read that for us. It's, it's you know, 1 Corinthians 13. Let me, let, let me hear all the lovers. It says, love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Hmm? 
doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And all the lovers said, oh, that's so nice. So poetic and, and lovely, right? And it starts getting hard when you apply that in a Christian way. Because Jesus in Matthew 5 says to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Ooh, now we're talking about something different. Now let me read that again. Love is patient and kind to your enemies. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude toward those who hate us. It doesn't insist on its own way when we have a terrible boss. Ooh, now we're talking different stuff, right? It's a labor of love. That's painful. Love hurts. Remember that song? How's that song go? Love hurts. Love scars. Love wounds. And mars. It, it, any, any, uh, anyone not tough or strong enough to take a lot of pain should not fall in love is what that, that song says. Love hurts. It says, ooh, love hurts. <laughs> it's okay, though, because Paul was encouraged that they were laboring in love. Saints, I'm encouraged by y'all too. I've, I've watched. We've watched this pastors how you guys have labored in love. I'm so encouraged by you. He also says that they've had a, a steadfastness of hope in Jesus. What they mean by hope, he's not, I hope this Jesus thing works out. It's not what steadfastness and hope means. It's an enduring, confident expectation. Let me say that again. It's an enduring, confident expectation. It's not, it's not crossing your fingers and your toes hoping things work out. You know things are going to work out because God is who he says he is. And you've watched him work in your life. And you know he's going to work all things to those who love him. You know it. You have a confident expectation. So it's living in confidence that your sins have been paid for. You don't have to live like you're still a slave to him. You can let it go. You don't have to sin. It's a, it's a confident expectation. It's having confidence that God's opinion matters more than your opinion and that he's going to have something better for you than what you could have for yourself. It's a confident expectation. It's having this expectation that Christ is going to come back one day and we can live like that's actually true. As your pastor, I want to tell you, and I thank God for all of you too, we, we as your pastors, like, we've seen you working out your faith. We've seen you laboring in love. We've seen your steadfastness of hope. And I just want to encourage you. I love y'all. You're doing so well. Keep it going. Another thing that uh, Paul said that he was praying for the church about and that he thanked God for was that they had an identity that was rightly understood. Look at verse, verse 4. He says, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul thanked God they had, that they had been chosen. So let me tell you, uh, for those of you who may not be deep, deep in theolo uh, theology, this whole word chosen is highly controversial in our culture today. Um, People say, did, did God choose me or did I have a hand in it? And there's, there's just a lot of back and forth, and it's keeping brothers in Christ separated. 
Uh, but let me say this. We at Living Stones, we're going to preach the Bible as it is. And, and when this says that we're chosen by God, it means that God chose us. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 says this. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless for, uh, before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. It says that we didn't choose God. Matter of fact, Jesus said that. Y'all didn't choose me. I chose you. God chose us in him before anything ever started. He said, in love, I'm going I'm to pluck them out of what they were in and I'm going to secure them for myself. That is so freeing. That, that is good news. Because church, if we had any hand in it, if we had any hand in our salvation, we would find some kind of way to jack it up. If we could, if we could earn any piece of our salvation, that also means we could lose it. Because we had to earn it, that means we're holding on to it, which means it could be taken away, and that's not true. It's a free gift of grace, given to us, put on us. If you didn't do anything to earn it, you can't do anything to lose it, because it's not dependent on what you do. It's dependent on the finished work of Christ. Your salvation belongs to Jesus and it's given to you. Be encouraged, saints. Understand your identity in Christ. You're a recipient of grace, not an earner of grace. So it's, it's an awesome distinction. It means that we can trust and rely on Christ only. And Paul said, I, I am confident. I know you guys have been chosen by the way you receive the word of faith. 1 Corinthians, if you don't have this, I want you guys to actually turn to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 15 verses 3 and 4. And if you don't have that underlined, like double underlined, highlighted in your Bible, I want you to do so right now. When you get there, say amen. I actually want you to turn to your Bibles. Don't look at me like I'm silly. Turn to your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. When you get there, say amen. All right. Take your pen out, underline it, if you don't already have it so. Verses 3 and 4. If anybody asks you about your faith, if anybody says, explain to me the gospel in a short sentence, I want you to whip this verse out. Let me read it for us. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Matter of fact, Community group leaders, I think that's a verse that we can uh, memorize, right? 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 This way? In your group? Memorize? Amen. Thank you. I was looking for that. This is so good. I, I'm giving to you what is of first importance. It means it's, this is the most fundamental thing of our faith. That means every time we approach God, every time we try to ask something of God, anytime we're looking for God to do something, it's based on this verse. And believing this verse is what's fundamental to our faith. I was on, a, again, I was, I was on the return flight home from my trip. Um, and again, I had on my Bible. Again, not trying to be super holy. I'm just really trying to prepare. And um, I'm sitting there, and I'm, and I'm in my Bible. Anybody ever, like, you're sitting there, and somebody sneaks up on you, but their face is, like, right here? So I'm sitting there, and I see the light. I'm like, oh, 
what do you, what's up? <laughs> what do you need? And she was like, I need you to pray for me. I'm like, whoa, all right, what you need? She's like, I need you to, to pray that God would give me a mate. I was like, ah, absolutely, I could pray for that. And in my mind, the first thing I thought of, I'm going to pray that, I'm going to pray this verse over you. That even though you're looking for a mate, that you would believe this and God would grant everything else to you. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added. Believing that Christ is who he says he is. Believing that he died and three days later rose again. That is the basis of the gospel, folks. He also says that I know that you're saved by, uh, by the way that the, the, the power of God was displayed in you. Romans 1.16 says that uh, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. So these people were watching as the, the people around them turned away from their false gods. They were watching as the validity of Jesus was proven by signs and wonders. They were watching as spiritually dead people were coming to life. That is the power of God for salvation. And if, if you ever wonder what that looks like, man, read the book of Acts. Man, you see the power of God on full display. They were watching it, and they, they believed what they were seeing. And they believed it with full conviction. John 16, 8 says, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. I don't know if you've ever read uh, the story of Jonah or if you have a mind as silly as mine when you read the story of Jonah, but it is funny. Um, God tells Jonah, I want you to go and tell uh, the, the town of Nineveh that if, unless they repent and turn to me, I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah goes there and says, y'all going to die in 40 days, and walks, and walks out. In my opinion, the worst sermon ever. There's no grace, there's no mercy, there's only doom and destruction. Um, but what we see those people do, they hear that message, and we see them repenting. See, when the, when the power of God comes upon you, when the, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the response is usually repentance. That's what full conviction means. There's a way that you can feel bad about what you do, but never turn away from what you're doing. It's not, it's not full conviction. That's still wanting to pleasure your flesh and just, and just live in your sins. But when the Spirit of God comes upon you and you're operating in full conviction of the Spirit, you turn away from your sins. The elders and I were reading this book a while back uh, about different revivals that have happened across the world. And we read this one story about this church in Asia. Uh, they were sitting down, they were reading the Bible, and one guy stood up in full conviction and said, for the past how many other years I've been, I've been lying and stealing money. And the next person stands up and says, I've been cheating on my spouse. And the next person stands up and, and repents. And this person stands up and, and repents. And next thing you know, an entire revival breaks out over their city. It's the power of God to salvation. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you've you got to move. There's something in you that has to be holy. You've got you to get rid of all that junk. And that's what the Thessalonians were doing. Revivals seldom happen without radical repentance. That's what we're praying for across northern Nevada. We're praying for radical revival. We want everybody to know about Christ. We don't want to be known as the place where people come to get divorced, where people go to Mustang Ranch. We don't want to be known for that. We want to be known for Christ. And that's going to take us 
living in full conviction of the Holy Spirit. There may be somebody here that you need to repent to today. And it's been on your heart. And you've been pushing it back. I get it. I remember um, I had this friend of mine that we, we grew up together. And for some reason, him and I always had this beef. And it revolved around Pop-Tarts. I don't, I don't know, man, but it's been over 20 years. And we just spoke recently, and he was like, you remember we used to beef over Pop-Tarts? I'm like, I know, man. I am so sorry. This, this year is a Christmas gift. I'm going to send him a box of Pop-Tarts. I, I want to walk in repentance. So in the same way that Paul was encouraging them, I want to encourage you too. I've, have some of, I've had some of the most theologically enriching and challenging conversations with, with some of you in this church. It's been a blessing to my soul. I love it. I love being in my community group where we, we dive into the Bible together. We go and serve people together. and We just live life together, serving all, all kind of, we doing all kinds of stuff together. It's awesome. I've watched the power of God radically change some of your lives. I've watched some of you walk in repentance when it, was a, it could have been of great harm to you, but you did it faithfully. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. Like, I, I thank God for all of you. <laughs> These people um, that Paul was writing to, he also says that they were viral disciples. At least that's how I'm going to say it. Uh, look at verse 5. It says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us in the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, Paul said that they were imitators. Um, He's saying of Paul and and the guys he was with, Paul Silas, that's his nickname, Paul Silas and Timothy, and and of Jesus. Um, I don't know what the Thessalonians were going through. Like, it doesn't clearly spell it out, but I know what Jesus went through and the affliction that he went through. And Paul tells us what kind of affliction he went through. And they were believing despite that. So whether they were being ridiculed by their neighbors or, or, or being put out or whatever it was, they were, they were imitating Paul and Jesus in their faith. Let's look at what Paul has to say about how he was treated because of his faith. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, he says this, um, that he's had far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times he received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, that was hit with rocks. Three times he was shipwrecked. A a night and a day he was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from his own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me, my anxiety for all the churches. Whew. That's a lot. That's a lot for, for one person to have all of this affliction. And I think Paul was trying to communicate 
that they were, they were imitating him because they would do absolutely anything for Jesus. There's nothing that they wouldn't go through, nothing they wouldn't face. So we'll probably never experience what Paul went through. Um, and unless you uh, leave your job and turn to our life of privacy, you probably won't be shipwrecked three times. I mean, once is cool, twice, bad luck, three times, you're just asking for it. We'll probably never experience that. Um, but this word affliction could also mean pressure. We are facing pressure. We face a lot of pressure in our culture as Christians. We get, we get ridicule, ridicule from other brothers in the faith. Because we at this church, we believe in uh, the five solas, if you know what those are, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And the only way we know that is through scripture alone. We believe and hold to that. And sometimes we're ridiculed for that. We believe in the doctrines of grace. And sometimes we're ridiculed for that. I, I once had a person tell me, if I believed what you believed, I would cease to be a Christian. That's, that's pressure. This guy was my boss. That's... that's that's crazy. It's a crazy amount of pressure. We get, we get ostracized from our family when we tell them we now believe in Christ. They don't talk to us anymore. It's pressure, man. We get pressure to conform to the History Channel's version of who God and Jesus are. And then people come to work and now they're experts to tell you about your Jesus. That's, that's pressure. Now you've got to try to defend what you believe in. I get it. We get pressure when we choose, when we get into these ethical dilemmas, and we, we have to choose not to participate in what culture is trying to do. So whether it's hanging out on the weekends and token and smoking or going out binge drinking or, or attending some other social functions like gay weddings that we, we just don't want to be a part of because we don't want to celebrate what the world is celebrating. That's pressure. I've watched, I'm, I'm in the military, I've watched people commit suicide because of this pressure. It's not, it's not easy. I get it. There's a, there's a lot of pressure. Yet and still, we stay true to who Jesus is. We join in with Paul uh, when Jesus comes along later in, uh, in 2 Corinthians. Let me read this to you. Look at this encouragement that Jesus gives to Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 9, he says, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am confident with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Oh, that's so good. Sounds impossible, but it sounds so good. Because there's that pressure, right? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. It's a mystery of the Holy Spirit, church. Rely on Christ. He makes that true for us. And he fills us with that, that joy that Paul is talking about. He said that, that they were having this joy. James 1 says uh, to count it all as joy. Everything that you go through, every negative thing that happens in your life, count it as joy. Man, that is a difficult thing to do. And I, there's, if I'm being honest, there's sometimes I don't get it. There's sometimes I see Christians operating in faith, and I'm like, I wish I had that. My kids, I, like, I, they, my kids leave toys out, and I stub my toe the wrong way, and all of a sudden, I'm without Jesus. I'm saying all kind of stuff. 
But we've got, I've got this friend of mine. She gave me a call and said, uh, I just wanted to let you know, I have a tumor in the center of my brain. And it's larger than the cell it's sitting on. It's double the size of the cell it's sitting on. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And not to mention, like, all this stuff. Like, she has young kids, and, and her husband just quit her job trying to look for a new job. And all this stuff is happening at the same time. And my heart is, is I can feel it breaking. But then she says to me, um, but I am so encouraged because uh, God is, I think God is going to use this as an opportunity to bring my husband to Christ. Count it all joy. Count it all as joy. Every single thing. And then he says, I'm sorry. <sighs> he says, word of what you're doing. It's, it's being spread out to Macedonia and Achaia. Like it's, it's rippling. Your, your faith is having this ripple effect everywhere it goes. Uh, he says, all the way from Macedonia to Achaia. I looked at the mileage of that, and it was so awesome. It's about the mileage from Reno to Las Vegas. Can you imagine that? The, the things that we're doing in this church rippling out all the way to Vegas and everywhere in between. Man, that's so good. We can see from Paul's letter that this church was characterized as one that was rooted in God's grace, love, and election. They were committed to Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were clearly different from every other thing that was around them. And they were living in the gospel. They were characterized by faith, hope, and love. And saints, this is us too. I, I intentionally didn't want to come up here and like throw out a bunch of sins on us because sometimes I think we just need a word of encouragement. We're great at bashing each other with the gospel, but we're not always good at encouraging one another with the gospel. Our sister churches, they're encouraged by us too. They're, they're looking at the way that we're handling all these changes, and they're giving us that gospel pat on the back, if you will. They're encouraged by what we're doing. Churches across northern Nevada want to partner with us to provide them with leadership and help them revitalize their churches. This church, not, not our sister churches, this church. We've got communities in our city that want us to come in and, and plant community groups and plant churches because they see how it's affected the other churches around them and they want some of that too. Church, we're doing this. My prayer is that God uses us to make a shift as he does it, as he uses us to make a shift in the spiritual climate in northern Nevada, that the whole state of Nevada will hear about what we're doing and want to follow Christ too. Be encouraged. My brothers and sisters, loved by God, we are a church that is turning northern Nevada upside down. We are a viral church that is thriving and spreading. By the Spirit, we're a church that has power and influence. Not by ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit, we have that. And even though we've sent out some of our most valuable leaders, and we will miss them dearly, we're not in danger of dying out. The gospel is strong in this church. Regenerated sinners are still being baptized. The gospel is still being preached. We're still joyfully living in the hope that one day Jesus is going to return, make all things right, and take us home. That's who we are. That's who we're going to be. And if you're, if you're here today and, and you're not a follower of Christ, 
let me encourage you, this joy can be yours as well. You don't, you don't have to continue to live life without Christ. John 3.16 says that God loved the world. That includes you. God loved you so much that he was willing to give up his only son, that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. We, we rest on that truth. And I pray that if you don't know Christ, that he meets you this morning. Amen? Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you uh, for this message of encouragement. Thank you that you're a God who's never left us, never forsaken us, promised to always be with us, and you've made good on your promise, God. Continue to use us as a church that is changing people's lives with the gospel. We just want to be a part of what you're already doing. God, thank you for choosing us before anything began. Christ, thank you so much for coming and living a perfect life and dying as payment for our sins and not staying dead, but rising from the grave and sitting at the right hand of the Father so that we can have an advocate for everything else we do wrong in this life. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for conforming us more and more and more into the person of Christ. God, we love you so much, and we thank you. Thank you for this word of encouragement. So in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.